From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Two and a half years since the coronavirus pandemic began, our hospitals across Oregon and Washington are in crisis mode, as are hospitals across the country. They are struggling with severe staffing shortages and financial struggles. Some are having to lay off staff, others making program cuts. Patients have long waits to get into the ER or to see their provider for a regular visit. OPB reports the chief operating officer at St. Charles Medical Center in Bend said health care is experiencing a crisis, almost an existential crisis when it comes to taking care of their communities. But COVID cases and hospitalizations are way down, less than a quarter of what they were at their peak last fall. So what gives? What's going on with our hospitals? What are some of the solutions? And how is all of this impacting you as a patient? Here to give us some insight, welcome to my guest, Becky Holtberg, President and CEO of the Oregon Association of Hospitals and Health Systems, and Laura Hannum, the CEO at Samaritan Hospital in Corvallis. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's so nice to have you both here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Well, let's begin with, in a nutshell, how would you describe the crisis that we're seeing in our hospitals and healthcare systems? We'll begin with Becky. I think the word existential is a really good way to describe the crisis. It is really unprecedented. We've had people who have been in healthcare for 30 years, 40 years, and they say they've never seen anything like this. It's really a combination of a perfect storm of staffing challenges, severe financial problems, and an inability to discharge patients to move them to the next level of care. So those three things together are really creating a really difficult situation for hospitals that is impacting patients. And Laura, how would you describe it? I would describe it as the, the long arm of COVID-19. Many individuals will say, they'll, they'll say to me, such a wonderful thing that the pandemic is over. And you don't want to be negative, but we have to be realistic. And it's going to take, some experts say, it may take a generation for us to recover from this in terms of individuals' willingness not only to seek health care or how they seek health care, but for people who work in healthcare, we're coming off of now more than two and a half years of, in some respects, kind of hopeless work at times with the staffing shortages, with the demands. We're now dealing with the pent up healthcare demand that many folks didn't want to go to the hospital or go to their doctor during the height of COVID-19. And now they're coming back and they're coming back to hospitals and clinics and physician offices that have a dramatically lower number of physicians, nurses, healthcare employees in general. And it creates a landscape that is very challenging, not only for patients, but for healthcare providers. Well, that is sobering to hear from both of you and to think it may be a generation to fully recover. And in the Pacific Northwest, it's not just Oregon, as I'm sure both of you know from talking to your colleagues, Washington hospitals are struggling too. In late July, we talked to representatives from Harborview Medical Center in Seattle and the Washington Medical Coordination Center. Let's listen to what they told us. We have not been under this level of stress at any point during the pandemic. This is unprecedented at this point. Unfortunately, we have returned to the same level, in some, in some cases worse level, uh, uh, both challenge and strain in our hospitals as we experienced during the periods of those specific surge, surges related to those variants. So Becky, let's break this down a little bit. How did we get to this point? Was there a tipping point? 
I don't know that there was one particular tipping point, but there were probably many different factors that have contributed to, to this challenge. And the first, as Laura talked about, is workforce. We had a workforce that showed up, and they showed up in a big way in 2020 and did really hard work. And, and it became really hopeless work as hospitals filled up with COVID patients, and many of those patients didn't survive. That was really grueling. It was hard. Um, it was a moral, many of them have said, we, we feel moral injury. We, we showed up, we, wor we worked hard for these patients. They, they didn't survive. It was hard, it was morally hard. So I think we're seeing the impacts of that now where people have just said, I can't do this work anymore. I'm gonna go do something else. We're seeing staff shortages everywhere, but particularly in hospitals, it's been really significant. So that is a that's been a huge problem. And then you couple that with the hospital financial losses. Hospitals' finances are, are pretty devastated at this point. So there, there are not the resources anymore to just pay, a, pay contract staff indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Hospitals are facing bankruptcy if they don't get their financial house in order. So when you look at those two things together, um, they have really combined to create a crisis that I don't think any of us anticipated. I think we thought that we'd get to a point where the pandemic was was ebbing it would be it would be over right. things would go back to normal and what we're realizing now is that there is no going back to the old normal and now we have to chart a course for what the new normal looks like and how we have sustainable hospitals in our community under this new normal and as i mentioned at the top you're the ceo of samaritan hospital laura in corvallis what are you seeing specifically at your hospital what we're seeing is a record number of employees who if they have the opportunity to retire they're retiring if they have the opportunity to seek employment in a non-healthcare setting, they're seeking it. There are a number of nurses who have shared with me personally, one of the things that's become really important to me is sit down with these employees when they've made, unfortunately, made the decision to leave us, to sit down with them so I can better understand what's really happening on a personal level. And I've had a number of nurses say to me, I'm not leaving the hospital, I'm leaving the profession. And when you think about currently, and I'm sure Becky has much better, uh, has a much better command of the data than I do, but if you look across the nation, currently I think it's about three million uh, nurses who are actively working, or, working or, or who would be able to work. About half a million are expected to retire by the end of 2022. So when you take that down to a state level, to a county level, to a community level, there are times where there are certain cases, uh, surgical cases, that we can't put on the schedule because we're missing a key nurse. Mm -hmm. If you have nurses who have specialized training in cardiac surgery, if you have nurses who have special training in trauma services, there are nurses with very specific training, much like physicians, and when you miss one, two, three of them at a time, it can truly be devastating. And at the beginning of the pandemic, in many states, including Oregon and Washington, there was a time where we didn't have scheduled cases or we minimized scheduled cases. Oftentimes you'll hear people refer to them as elective cases. Mm -hmm. And I actually really don't like to refer to them as elective cases because oftentimes those are cancer cases, those are open heart surgeries. So the patients need them. The patients need them. It's not an emergency. Them. Exactly, it's scheduled. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when you begin to kind of wipe the slate clean, if you will, those healthcare needs don't go away. And so now as they come back in abundance, again, that pent up healthcare need, there is not only the pressure of what our healthcare providers experienced at the beginning of the pandemic, now this, there's this kind of secondary tertiary wave. When, when I left the hospital last night, um, 
our emergency room was at 143% of capacity. You know, when I got in this morning, we were holding multiple patients in our emergency room. And so when folks say, well, you don't have enough beds, we physically have enough beds. We don't have enough staffed right. beds. And so when you see all the help wanted signs, you know, at, on the storefronts, you know, at the fast food uh, locations, we have just as many help wanted signs. We just don't have them, you know, in the front window. And so when you show up at the doctor, you show up at the hospital, and there aren't the individuals to care for you, you think, what's, what's going on? You don't apply what's kind of happening out there to what may be happening with your health care right. providers. It's frightening in a lot of ways for, for patient care. You mentioned financials, Becky, and I just want to dig into that just a little mm -hmm. bit. This is uh, some financial information from the Oregonian article earlier this week by Jeff Manning. The article said Providence lost $51.2 million from operations in Oregon in the first half of 2022. OHSU lost $64 million through the first 11 months of the fiscal year 2021-22. St. Charles Health System in Bend lost $21.8 million in the first quarter of this year and collectively Oregon hospitals lost 103 million in just the first quarter of 2022. I mean that is pretty sobering to see those figures Becky. Yeah it is pretty sobering and I think it it does hospital leaders do um, feel uncertain about the future when you look at these numbers. When is this trend when are these trends going to turn around? Hospitals often have been in the community taking care of your grandparents and now they're taking care of you and they, they, they want to be there to take care of your children and grandchildren. So they think generationally. So it's about how do we take care of patients today and have the resources to take care of patients today and then how do I make sure that this institution that I am a steward of, I am a steward of this institution for the community, how do I make sure it's here? for the next generation. And those are hard things to wrestle with right now as hospitals have gone two and a half years where their expenses have been far higher than their revenue. That can't continue indefinitely. And that's really the challenge that they're facing right now. Laura, you touched on a couple of things um, and I wanted to just talk about them a little bit more in emergency departments, boarding of patients. And that's what you were mentioning, that you have patients waiting to, um, to get into the emergency room and then to get into a room in the hospital, right? right? And then you have patients that want to be discharged or could be discharged, right. but they can't because there aren't spaces at the lower level uh, skilled nursing facilities. So that's right. causing a backup. So the Oregonian reported there's 700 patients stuck. They called it stuck in Oregon hospitals, either being boarded or waiting to be discharged. I mean, that put that in perspective for us. That, that's a lot of patients stuck in hospitals. That is a tremendous number of patients. It's like two really large hospitals full of patients. It's like we've taken two Oregon hospitals offline because they're, they're full of of patients who could be in other locations. And, and that's a real challenge because it means those patients' needs aren't quite getting met because they're not in the right care setting for their need. They don't need to be in the hospital. I mean, who wants to be in a hospital if we could be somewhere, if we could be in a, a different setting, but they don't have the care at home or a skilled nursing facility won't take them. So it's a challenge for those patients. And, and more importantly, it's a challenge for the patient who is sitting in the emergency department in a rural hospital and there's no bed available for them. And that's what really gets me. And you talked about staffing shortages. The largest hospital system in Oregon, Providence, has 1,700 open positions. And earlier in the coronavirus surge, the demand was so great that hospitals turned to traveling right. nurses. And right. those nurses many times made three times what local employees made. What was the impact then and what is the impact now? 
It's interesting when you look back at the beginning, you know, Becky made a really good point about, you know, you think about healthcare heroes when we were celebrating nurses and doctors, and there were many healthcare providers who even moved away from their families temporarily so that they wouldn't spread the coronavirus. You know, they were going the extra mile. And so in, in greatly impacted areas, we all saw, you know, what happened in New York City, what happened in other communities where nurses and physicians and other healthcare providers from around the country would descend on these communities and take these temporary engagements and do their very best. And then I have to admit, in my mind, I thought, okay, now we'll get to the other side with this. Those professionals will go back to their communities. But that really started a very distinct cycle that we're still still dealing with today. And what's interesting about it is there are times at our hospital where it's not just nursing. It can be other areas, pharmacy, lab. Uh, there are times where during a given night shift on a nursing unit or in our lab, we'll have more travelers than we do permanent employees because not only is there the economic incentive for nurses and other professionals to accept these engagements, then there's also the folks who are left behind who are saying, why am I doing this when these folks are coming in? They don't have a commu commitment to this organization or to this community, but they're making this additional money. I don't fault anyone for wanting to optimize. At the same time, it unfortunately has created this perverse right, incentive right. that we're having, I, I almost call it a drug that we're trying to get off of because we're desperately trying to, as Becky said, we want to care for our community, staff our beds, and yet uh, you can't have, you know, in a given month we'll have a 100% increase over budgeted costs related to agency and then that's not including what's happening with supply chain again we all know things are more expensive they're more expensive for the hospital as well well you mentioned about traveling nurses and how the local employees must feel let's talk a little bit about morale because there is criticism of the hospital systems raising the alarm about this nurses union saying this is a self-inflicted wound they say hospitals didn't plan ahead they didn't have higher enough staff when it looked like even before the pandemic that there was going to be a staffing shortage and then they hired traveling nurses and current staff. They didn't keep current staff happy. You know, how do you respond to that, Becky? Just up looking at the hospitals across Oregon. I think it's easier to point the finger than come to the table and solve the problem. And so it, to me, it's kind of it's funny because you think, well, this is happening to every hospital across the country. So are you re are they really saying that every hospital across the country was a bad employer? Of course, that doesn't make sense. That's just not true. And so I think it's just a lack of, of willingness to recognize this really profound cultural shock that we've been through of the pandemic and how that has affected our lives and our livelihoods and particularly the healthcare system. And if we're gonna climb our way out of this and make sure we continue to serve our communities, we're gonna have to keep the focus on patients. We're gonna have to do our best to take care of our workforce. And we're gonna have to work together, stop pointing the fingers, come to the table and collaborate. Well, healthcare workers are really frustrated. I know you, you both hear it and 7,400 workers at OHSU voted to authorize a strike. The Oregonian quoted an OHSU medical assistant as saying, and this is the quote, for the last two plus years, we have sacrificed to keep our community alive and OHSU functioning. We have given so much through the pandemic and we're demanding OHSU make investments in their employees to address staffing, retention, and the cost of living. OHSU is not the only place where healthcare workers have, have authorized strikes and things in Providence, they came to an agreement at the 
couple of their facilities. But Laura, let me ask you, and I'm also going to ask you to move your hair back on your oh, left shoulder sure, because it's sure, hitting sure. your microphone. Thank you. Um, but what do you say to these hardworking staff members? Right. Well, first I say thank you. And second, I would echo part of what Becky was saying in terms of how hospitals, uh, how we got to this place. The great resignation, the great retirement, many experts talk about that actually started in the year 2000. And it's, it was only accelerated by the pandemic. I've had a, a couple of physicians say to me, this is my first pandemic. And my response is, that's right, it's the first pandemic for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so we actually, and I know a number of hospitals move quickly to put things in place, such as critical shift incentives. They, don't, they put in place longevity bonuses, recognition bonuses. We've created more flexibility in terms of how we staff uh, different units. We've done everything that we can to support these nurses and other healthcare professionals. We are on the same side, and it is going to take all of us to solve this. So from my perspective, we need everyone at the table pulling in the same direction. Uh, unprecedented has been used too many times, um, but we do find ourselves in a landscape that has been fundamentally altered by a worldwide pandemic. The other thing is if you, again, kind of back to the data points, Oregon and Washington rank last in the number of inpatient beds per 1,000 residents. And so in times when we're not in pandemic, again, it kind of pushes us to more of an outpatient setting. It creates a very efficient healthcare organization. You put a pandemic on top of that, it becomes very difficult. So in many ways, some of this was predetermined before we got here. How do you staff up when we have the lowest number of beds? You don't staff for, for beds that we don't, we don't have. Oregon is a certificate of need state. So you don't add beds as you need them. So there had to be special dispensation for us to set up kind of mass units, if you will, or COVID hospitals uh, or decompression units, many of which we're having to do again. You mentioned it earlier with the skilled nursing facilities. We're having to do this again to help care for those, those uh, lower acuity or less ill patients not well enough to go home, but there isn't a skilled nursing facility for them to go to with Laura, staff. I need to jump in here sure. because we're running out of time, but I want to talk about some long-term and short-term fixes. We're going to do that right after the break. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about what's been called an unprecedented crisis in our hospital system. And once again, welcome to our guest, Becky Holberg, president and CEO of the Oregon Association of Hospitals and Health Systems, and Laura Hannum, the CEO at Samaritan Hospital in Corvallis. Once again, really wonderful to have you both here to talk about this. Laura, we talked about in the first segment about how we got here and how we'd hope to be in recovery by now, but we're not. What is it going to take to get to recovery, how long is that gonna take? It varies widely in terms of what different people think. I, I do my best to track on different experts and how they weighed in. There are some folks who will say it's going to be two years and then others who say it's gonna be a generation until we get to a different place. I can't think of any more meaningful work right now than healthcare and we have to find ways 
to invite, especially those earlier in their career, you know, just deciding how they want to spend their work lives, we have to be able to share the value of that work again. And we have to succeed in doing it. Uh, because one of, I reviewed a Penn State study talking about nurses, and one of the things that that study said, it's not so much that we don't have the right supply, it's that we have so much demand. Mm. And so that's the piece is how do we find other ways, and we have been for a long time, kind of how do you offload physicians and nurses, you know, whether it's through telehealth or other types of healthcare professionals, but we've got to find ways to invite people to join us in healthcare again, and that it isn't hopeless, and we felt hopeless. So we've got to get to that different place. And I imagine there's going to be even more pressure with an aging population. Mm -hmm. And Becky, you wrote a letter to Governor Brown mm -hmm. outlining the problems and, and asking for help addressing this. What, what sorts of help are you looking for? Yeah, this has been kind of a silent crisis, right? Because no one's been really aware of the kind of crisis that we're seeing in our hospitals. So we're really happy that there are gonna be some requests in front of the e-board in the next couple of weeks for the legislature to act on. That That's will, the emergency board? Yes, the emergency board that will, that will help to provide incentive payments um, to adult foster homes, which will help get people out of the hospital, um, some staffing, limited staffing support for skilled nursing facilities, limited staffing support for hospitals. I look at those as the things that are gonna help us like now during the flu season, like the next few months. And then we're gonna look at things in the short term in the legislative session to address workforce, to address post-acute care. And then I think it's also time for us to sit down together as, an, as a stakeholder, as an industry with other stakeholders to say, what has changed since the pandemic? And how do we reach heart a new course for healthcare that is sustainable and that provides the ability for us all to have what we expect, which is an emergency department, functioning hospitals, and a good system for all of us. You know, and all these things we're talking about are the current situation when COVID cases are low and what's going to happen, you know, after Halloween, the anticipated COVID surge again, another peak and flu season. Let me ask you, Laura, as we look at long-term solutions, is this a societal problem? How do we fix this going forward, even into the next generation? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a great question, and it's, it's a question all of us are going to have to answer personally. And we talk about telehealth. Telehealth really took off. You know, necessity is the mo mother of invention, right? So suddenly telehealth took off. There has to be a willingness to find other ways to get our health care. Many of us have heard about taking uh, responsibility for right. our own health care. And so we don't, we don't need nurses and physicians to be the health care heroes. We need to be our own health care heroes. So finding the right ways, not in an angry way, but in a, in a productive way to be our own best advocates and make sure that we're finding other ways to access services. And Becky, what's the scenario if we don't fix yeah, this? Yeah, you know, I actually have some, have had some sleepless nights about that because, you know, like many of you, I've had family members whose lives have been saved in hospitals. Mm -hmm. And it feels really scary and desperate to me to think about living in a place or being at a time when there's not an emergency department bed that's open in a reasonable amount of time, or there's not a hospital bed available when someone I love needs that care. And so to me, that's the problem that we all need to keep our eyes on, that this is about people, it's about their lives, their families, and their communities. I want to give you each an opportunity for a final thought of about 30 seconds or so. Laura, something you'd like to leave our viewers with. Well, what I would leave viewers with is that, uh, you know, we talk about patience, uh, patience, not patience, but having patience, uh, but coming to these situations with grace. 
So when we hear about the complaints, uh, when we hear about uh, unrest, the fact of the matter is, is that we're at a turning point. And so we have to come to the table together. We have to recognize that this is a problem unlike any other. And so we have to preserve our hospital beds. We have to preserve our emergency room. And that was one of the issues at the height of the pandemic. It wasn't that we couldn't care for the COVID-19 patients. It's that we were threatening to fully overwhelm our healthcare system. We have to find ways not to do that again. And Becky, about 30 seconds for a final thought. Yeah, I think um, to echo what Laura just said, I think it's important for people to understand that the kinds of things we've taken for granted in our communities, like the availability of emergency care and hospital beds are not a guarantee, but also to know that Oregon's hospitals are committed to being there for you and your family today and to being assets in your community for the next generation. But we are gonna have some really hard work to do and we're gonna need help. Becky Holtberg, Laura Hannum, thank you so much for coming all the way from Corvallis for us too. We really thank appreciate you. it. Wish you both the best of luck. Thank you. And thank you for watching. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Just search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. I'm off for a couple of weeks. My colleague David Molko will be filling in. We hope to see you then for Straight Talk. Have a great week.